you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast today's episode is our final final one for 2003 and just like the last couple years every year we have a handful of episodes where john and i fully agree to the highest extent which means i would give a show a 10 john would give a show a 10 and collaboratively we create what is a Hall of Fame show? And we had six of them this year. Really good shows. Some very much that you'd think would be there. And then a couple that maybe you wouldn't even think about. So they're good ones. We're going to go back on those. We're going to talk about our favorite episodes of the year. We're going to talk about your favorite episodes of the year. And we'll also induct two of the veteran committee shows that didn't get 10 out of 10s when they were aired way back when these ones were back in the mad era that we kind of need to give some love to now every year that we do that we get some big big shows back into the hall of fame that deserve to be there so no different today and this is just a fun one to kind of do a little year in review and the hall of fame is being constructed in Oh, Walla Walla, Washington, I suppose. And if you want to attend and see all the episodes on the wall, then you are mistaken because there is no Hall of Fame for Live on Four Legs. You silly person. How dare you think that? All right, let's start the show. Randy Sobel over here. John Farrer over there. Hello, hello. Happy almost new year to you. Another another year down. Yeah. We've made it feels like five years of this podcast went by almost in an instant, but also excruciatingly long as well. It it doesn't feel real that we're heading into our sixth year, that we're starting off the year with our 265th episode. That's kind of beyond me. Next year, we're going to be at our 300th episode. And again, that's another milestone that you just keep chipping away at the stuff. And somehow you end up on that road and, and you're there. Yeah, and I mean, including all the Patreon episodes and stuff, I think we're already at 300. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And we might even be well over. I don't know what the full count is on that. I don't know how accurate it is or anything like that. And then you got to think that we had one episode where we covered multiple shows, and then we had episodes that counted towards the, the final number that weren't actually shows that we covered at all. So there's some adding and some traction, and I think we have definitely hit 300 at this point. If not, we're really, really damn close. If you think about it, there were 17 Bridge School shows. I went through and put a collections together on Patreon. I think I had 17, so that's 
34. That's getting really close. So math, whatever you want to say, we're almost there. We've done a lot. But yet, when you look down the list of (laughs) what we have left to do. Yeah, only 700 or so to go. Right. Which is crazy because there was a point where there was a thousand. Yeah, I think now we're closer to eleven hundred. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it took five years to get to three hundred. I mean, looking at at least another ten years. So yeah, I'm just hoping that can still be around for it. We want to be around for like, you know, hopefully it's a long way away. But like, I was thinking about it recently because like we had the Zoom party and I've been going through and updating the board and everything. And, like, the last episode we do is going to be Pearl Jam's last show. And, like, that just seems crazy to think about. That is kind of crazy. Yeah, and I think it would probably have to be that. But, yeah. wow. That's going to be, like, everybody pitching on that episode. Everybody come yeah, in. and eight hours long. Yeah. Well, more than deserving, it's going to be yeah. <laughs> hell of an edit time. But, anyway, we are going to induct the shows officially into the Live on Four Legs Hall of Fame. But... I do want to give some credit to some really good episodes that we did this year because, you know, not just covering the shows, but I come out of an episode sometimes. I know you come out of an episode too feeling a certain way like, okay, we had a good discussion. We covered a show. We feel like we did justice by the story and all that. So there were a lot of really fun episodes to record. What were some of your favorites or some of your favorite moments that happened in episodes? Yeah. Well, I think the one that we did to start off the year, first off, we did self-pollution radio. And that's one that I, you know, had lived with and like recorded on tape. So that brought back a bunch of good memories to talk about and, and go through those performances. That's so much fun and like such a classic performance that, again, a little different too, because it wasn't like technically a show in front of an audience at an arena or something, but still felt important to cover. And, and those performances are incredible. So that was a lot of fun to talk about. What about you? You know, I think about like the moments that we shared and I think about, first of all, that Maui show that we did where, and I can't remember the guy's name who just randomly said on Twitter that he was at the show. Trent Mitchell. Trent Mitchell. Yes. I'm sorry. I forgot your name, Trent, but it was just so sporadic it just kind of came out of nowhere and you know we're recording the middle of the episode and he's like sure i'll come join your discord right now and wouldn't you know he came on in the middle of the episode i think that might be overall my favorite moment of the whole entire series but i loved having amy on to talk about her umbrella from the pittsburgh show in 2000 one of mine too yeah great show really really good story I really liked when we did New Orleans a couple weeks ago and we had Jack McDowell on. I thought that that was a whole lot of fun and that almost didn't happen either. I almost punted on that, but when he says, yes, it's you, you just got to go with it and you got to kind of change plans at the last minute. I also found a lot of shows that I guess I didn't expect that I'd really, really like or just didn't see it before listening to and a lot of these are like now kind of shows that are more in rotation a little bit and i think saint paul from 2014 is one of them philadelphia the other show in 2016 is another the london ontario show at budweiser gardens before the wrigley show that's a show i really really got to appreciate and love 
And Saratoga Springs in 2000, I really liked the fire that came out of that show too. So there's a lot that happened this year. And, and going through these, we haven't listened to every single one of these shows before we cover it. So a lot of this, when it comes out and it's fresh and you're hearing something that it's like, I haven't heard this in a while, or I just haven't heard this show before. It feels like you got something pretty special. And I think those ones that I mentioned were the ones that I really kind of gravitated towards this year. Yeah. We had a lot of near misses too. that Mexico city, 2015. I gave it a 10. You gave it an eight. That one came close. Like you said, the, the Philly 2016, the one before the 10 show, both got nine and a half from us. That Pittsburgh 2000 show, I gave it a 10. You gave it a nine and a half. Murfreesboro, nine and nine and a half. San Diego and Camden from 2022, we both were nine and a half, nine and a half. You gave Camden a 10. Camden's um, going to have to come back on a committee vote someday. Mm-hmm. Austin 95, the South Park Meadows, we both gave nine and a half. New Orleans 93, the one you mentioned, you gave it a 10. I was very, very close. So, yeah, we had a we had a bunch of near misses this year. A lot of really good shows covered. You weren't just very, very close. You were a 9.25. Right. That's right. And you made some people crazy from what I had heard. But well, <laughs> deal with it. So I think the way that we're going to start here is we're going to kind of talk a little bit about what the Hall of Fame episode is. And then we're going to shoot to a clip from that episode because this is a clip show. And if you miss these episodes, then maybe it's kind of a sell to go and listen to the whole thing. So the first one that we're going to do, it took us until July to get to an episode that we both gave a perfect score. And I actually thought it was going to be the episode prior to this because I was thinking that all three Mansfield shows deserved the 10, but that wasn't the case. You gave it like a nine or nine and a half or something. And so we had to kind of rely on night two to kind of be our focus and be like the first one for the year, which is really late for that. We kind of spread them out a lot more last year, but yeah, it was a good one to kick off the hall of fame inductions for this year, but it took, it took a while before we got there. 27 episodes. Yeah. I remember that it was kind of turning into a thing like, Oh, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And we both kind of looked at Mansfield and been like, well, it'll, it'll happen then. Like we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, I think that that first night just didn't quite get there for me. I mean, still, you take them as a whole, it's it's a no doubter. But when you break them up, you got to look at each individual one. But yeah, that that night two show is is unreal. So the clip that we're going to show you right now is going to be from Rear of a Mirror, which was a very very long version of Rear of a Mirror, and I believe we have actually the the hero, the MVP of mm-hmm. 2023, and that yeah. would be our gear guru Javier and he's actually on this one. So we'll get all the insight that came along with this. So here's river mirror from night Two, Mansfield 2003, the experiment. You can kind of tell by the way that Matt is breaking into the bridge. And sometimes when they do that and they transition from the course bridge, they start off and it'll kind of blossom and develop into something. But when Matt takes off right away, that's going to tell you what type of version this is. And usually the ones that are very hard hitting don't last as long as the ones that are really jammy. 
The total runtime on this is 9.30. That should tell you something. But, oh man, this is terrific. Gotta love what's going on on both ends of the stage here. Stone is gathering tons of feedback and playing off of it. And at one point, he's kind of got like a delayed wah-wah sound while Mike is sort of filling in with a, a cleaner shortened solo there. I hope that's what Javier is going to bring up because he's going to talk about this in a second. But Matt's hammering away on the whole thing. Jeff's bass creates tons of tension. And there's one point he just keeps plucking the one note and kind of lets it hang there. Yeah, I always listen to what Jeff is doing on these little rearview mirror bridges, and yeah, he's just pulsating that note. just gives it so much momentum and, like you said, so much tension. Yeah, I love what Jeff is doing here. And then it gets way down and gets kind of sparkly and kind of twinkly a little bit, like they bring kind of down, and then it just ramps up. Yeah, this is, you know, you talked about insignificance maybe being the highlight, but this rearview mirror, there's nothing like it at this show. It's up there. It is definitely up there two songs that I might be talking about a little bit later. But before we do that, we're going to get to the Gear Guru. Finish it off here. about the use of delays or maybe when Jeff leads the song a little bit more with Matt or whatever Stone is going to be doing and that's going to kind of dictate whatever the other guitar player also known as Mike is going to be soloing upon but this version specifically doesn't have a lot of effects in the back I think it's very minimalistic compared to other versions that we have talked to something really cool is happening here though is they're making all the breaks and all the atmosphere for this with no pedals whatsoever it's just creating distance in between the guitar and the amp so when you have a high volume amp at a certain distance you're going to create that feedback you like it or not you're going to have that you don't want to even know what's going to happen if you have a semi-hollow guitar in front of a very loud amp that's going to make a lot of noise anyways that's a different thing but in this case you are just creating that feedback with the distance that you have with the instrument and the amp but when you have guitars like Gibson Les Pauls or anything that is going to have two volume knobs and two tone knobs you can select and you can shut down or turn off or completely get your volume to zero pickups you can do it in a very unique and a specific way what I mean with that is if you roll down the first knob it's gonna only turn down the volume of the neck pickup. And if you do it in the one in the bottom, it's gonna roll down the volume over the bridge pickup. When you do this, and then you start to play with the pickup selector, you're gonna create that feedback that is choppy. It's like a helicopter sounding, like Some people refer it as Morse code because some artists, they have recorded like pretty cool tracks using that technique, making the simulation that is some sort of Morse code. But yeah, that's how you can create that effect, something that it has been 
new to me because I haven't heard this version in a while, but I thought that it was worth mentioning for this week. All right, for our next inductee, we stick with Mansfield because if night two is getting in, then Jesus, night three is absolutely getting in because that is the one that by many people's standards can go down as the best show that they've ever done. I wouldn't really argue with that because there's just a lot going on there. You know, 44 songs or so. And basically putting the kitchen sink on the table when it comes to having to play the rest of your songs in a catalog, having to do a preset before Slater Kinney comes on. That's all seated acoustic with some songs that you next to never hear at Pearl Jam shows like Parting Ways and All or None and All Those Yesterdays. And this one is obviously the one that goes down in lore as one of the goats. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing if if that show's not not getting in? I mean, that was a really long episode too. We we talked about just the acoustic set for over an hour, I believe. So, yeah, definitely worth it. There's so much to talk about in that episode. And that's where we're going to share this clip right now. The acoustic set was one for the ages and I think one of my favorite moments from that set happened to be footsteps and there was something that happened in that version of footsteps that was the evolutionary point to where the song would become much later and it's a little little detail that you got to listen for that is what happened on this so i'll let you guys listen to it and this is back from the mansfield three episode back in july maybe my favorite version ever of this song it might be my favorite of the acoustic it probably is but it's definitely number one in my favorite footsteps of all time and here's the reason why i think it's just sort of structurally and i think it's the evolution plot point that's within the song that we're going to get to and we're going to talk about right now it's still very early in the usage of the harmonica in this song the harmonica is used for the first time at that Bridge School 1999 show, and they had only played it four other times in 2003, so at this point, this is a really rare song to hear, and they played it in 2000, but really not often at all, probably either 10 or a little less than 10 times. And I don't think what people realize is that along with the harmonica section actually comes a whole new structure within that bridge part and that is the song live that we know of it now. So the versions that we know of it now, usually Mike kind of comes in right after that second chorus, and it's Mike that's starting it, and then Ed's piece of the harmonica comes in on the second part. You get that huge crowd reaction that always comes when he does the harmonica. And back in the 90s, that whole section was just Mike. So they kept the backing sound to it kind of stark before really hitting on a big finish. Now here's where it changes a little bit. Here's the extra elements that are added with this with the harmonica. So to push that, the instrument in itself isn't enough to like hold down an entire section. So you start with Mike, like I said, go back to Ed to kind of finish that second half. 
Now, you may or may not notice, what the band does to Surge is almost like you don't even recognize that it was a change because it's so fluid as to how you hear it now. They go back to that chorus chord progression, that dun 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 dun. They go back to that during the harmonica part. They never did that before this version. This is the first version where they ever did that. And that changes the whole dynamic for the song. think about it right after ed finishes the harmonica the whole entire crowd erupts they take a second to to clap and and cheer and all that but what they were doing in versions before that was that whenever mike was done with his little piece for the bridge section they go right into that final chorus instead of giving it that break so the structurally it changes a lot and i just find that so totally interesting that they know you add in this extra element with the harmonica and you need to finish it off to make it sound sort of that the harmonica has this big part in it and the harmonica creates this big change in the song and that's what happens here that's why i love it we talked about this on the evolution episode basically the same exact story here but this is the change starting on this night that you hear every single footsteps rendition since that's a really good call and i know there are a lot of people out there that don't love the harmonica version and maybe there's a reason why you should like again going back to that chord progression that kind of resolves it and it gives people that familiarity with it it's almost like you're giving it a key change or something where you go like oh here we go this this is so cool and i think too it elevates that last verse and chorus i think is excellent on this version i don't think i've ever heard them do a final verse and chorus like this you can tell that they know there's something special happening on stage yeah i agree like i won't go as far to say this is my absolute favorite version but it's definitely up there this is another really good highlight and kind of a song that was like again forgotten at the time that we think of now as being like this big crowd moment but at the time it was one that nobody really talked about it it kind of entered like a little bit of a dark period yeah, and I think that the harmonica is definitely the way of getting it out of the dark period. And I love talking about versions of songs like this. And yeah, that was real nerdy into the minutiae stuff. But hopefully you guys enjoy that because that doesn't really happen a whole lot on this show where we can get into a huge pivot point of a song that completely changes the game. 
All right, before we get to the next inductees, let's talk about your favorite episodes this year, you guys. You guys shared with us on Patreon, on Discord, on Facebook, and one person said something on Twitter of what your favorite episodes were this year. And you guys, obviously, it always happens where everybody's going to pick the shows that they went to, and that's totally understandable. But I think we got a nice array of shows that we're going to mention here. So let's start with Mar. She really liked the Slim Secret show, and she said, I'm biased because I recently befriended Kathy. Can't believe we didn't even mention Kathy before. That's what made that great, but we're going to talk about Slims in a little while, obviously. I befriended Kathy and Shannon, but it was so lovely to hear about the night their friendship began. So, yeah, that was that was nice. I really, really liked talking to her. Jason Corbin liked the Mansfield trilogy. John Locke liked the Mansfield night three. And I believe another one he really liked was Saratoga as well. Bradley said, you guys covered six shows this year that I attended. So he went with Alpine Valley from 1998 as his favorite because it was his first ever show. And it was cool to go back and revisit the show that all started it for him. So very cool. Glenn Bobey, Slims, that's it. John Cooney said, I really enjoyed the Slim Show, partly because Versus is probably my favorite Pearl Jam album. Special mention for Chicago Night 1. We'll get to that later. Because I remember seeing our RVM for Franz pop up in the setlist feed that night. Then to hear the dedication on the bootleg was such a beautiful moment. David Lang really liked both Maui and Murfreesboro and said they both make my Live on Four Legs Hall of Fame. About one in five episodes make my Hall of Fame. Well, that's impressive. I like that ratio. And since we did 50 this year, that means I guess you got 10, which is more than us. So that's very impressive. And note, they are my favorite episodes, not my favorite bootlegs or concerts. Okay, that, wow, that's impressive. That is a huge compliment. So, and then James Penna. These are all the Patreon ones. James Penna really liked the Hartford 2013 one. So good answers there. Do you want to read from Discord a little bit? I've got a couple. Tom wrote in, says he loved the episodes he went to. Camden 2022, Mansfield 1 and 3, Hartford 13, among many others. But Slims and New Orleans 93, I think, were my favorites for the outstanding shows and extra guests and info you guys dug up. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, good one. Um. Our buddy Farrell's is username, I think, from New Zealand. Says, uh, love them all. I know I'm not following the rules, but a favorite I would actually go for would be the Love Boat Captain Evolution episode. And shout out to the late night series Letterman 2006 as well. That so was a really Patreon, good one. Yeah, that was that was super cool. And then Curtis, Curtis Hames says, the April run of 2003 shows for me, West Palm Beach, Champaign, and Pittsburgh. Nobody else said those. I'm I'm impressed that he went that way. But I think, again, kind of like Bradley saying, Alpine Valley, Curtis's first show was around that time, too. So I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, that's bringing back those kind of memories. And Farles is John McFarland. So yeah. uh, thank you for sharing all that. And then on Facebook, you guys shared, but you guys, because I posted all the album covers, and it's not really album covers, it's just the episode artwork, but they kind of... Yeah, maybe there are album covers. Most of you guys just kind of put 
the numbers of episodes and I don't want to go through and look what number is there. But, uh, William Reese said Mexico city, 2015, London, 2000 and Mansfield. And then of course, Kirk is going to say the St. Paul 2014 episode because he was involved with that. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for writing in and sharing your favorite episodes. And if you are convinced that you want to listen to the ones that these guys mentioned, then please go through our feed and just look at what we did this year. It's pretty simple. If you haven't listened to the St. Paul episode, if you haven't listened to the Chicago episodes from the past two weeks, then check out on the feed. Everything is there. Or you can even, if you want to search by year, you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and go to the podcast section. And if there is an era that you want, if you want 1994, you can go down to the 1994 section and choose to listen to any episode that we did from that year. So that is all available to you guys. And hopefully you all have taken advantage of it. And if not, now is the good time to do so as well. All right, the next one on our list is probably one of the more unexpected ones of the year. I didn't expect to give this a 10, and I almost didn't give it a 10. <laughs> and this was one that you were really, really excited because this is a time in 1998 where they just pulled out you know, a bunch of great shows all in a row. We did the Pittsburgh show that was really, really good that happened about a couple of days before this. And this was Birmingham, Alabama from September 1998. So what about this one were you really excited about talking about? Yeah, this is like, it's the show after my first show. And it's a really underrated show. And like we, we talk about, you know, like, oh, you know, those are the ones that we kind of get excited for. And yes, your Mansfields and, you know, your MSGs and Chicago's and things like that are always going to be up there. But it's cool to find one like this that has kind of been like, under the radar a little bit and the people that know know like they it's a great bootleg the performances are amazing like we did to talk about the dueling banjos thing a little bit for better or for worse but you know great version of alive a great version of hail hail daughter with stuff and nonsense i think we talked about a footsteps in the middle of the set just so much great stuff in that and like the band was like in a great mood on stage but yeah like, i i remember i think i during the ratings i think i fought for that one a little bit i had to kind of kind of pull you a little bit towards the towards the hall of fame because i think it definitely deserved it yeah at the end of the day if you can go 9.5 and somebody else has a 10 you could probably end up going 10 unless you're really kind of set in your way yeah this isn't going to be the most listened to hall of fame episode but you kind of need all of the more underrated ones there are players in the mlb hall of fame that not necessarily your Babe Ruth's and Hank Aaron's, but they still get in because they're still very, very good, and they still have a long career. I don't know if the shows have a long career, but longevity, sure, in people listening to them and enjoying them. And the one that I really, really loved that we're not going to play it for you right here, but I just want to give a shout-out to Porch because this Porch sounded like Mike was playing like video game music or something like that. And then Matt was going off and doing some freestyle drumming as well. Very, very good version. But I think we have to go and play, even though kind of to your chagrin, the dueling banjos into corduroy was a very, very good moment. So that's going to be the thing that most people take out of this show. So 
that's going to be the thing you hear right here. So let's get to the banjos. People remember this show because they do something here that they've never done before, never done since. It is the dueling banjos intro into Corduroy. So Ed puts on a Rickenbacker for this to do the dueling banjo. That's pretty legit. Yeah. yeah. And it's certainly not anything you'd ever expect the band to do, especially in 98 where it's just like, okay, a little less pandering to the local crowd. Like we've seen stuff like when in Boston doing like Dirty Water and doing more local stuff like Running Back to Saskatoon. There's a song, I don't think it's called Running Back to Indiana, but I think Going Back to Indiana, something like that that they played. Who knows, maybe they'll play it in Indy this year, but they've played that Indy before. But this is like that, but it's kind of, again, like giving a fly, like ahead of its time that they would do something to like spark the local energy in the crowd. And maybe that's just because they're kind of excited to be in Alabama. It's kind of a new place for them. Yeah, I don't love this. Of course you don't. a little stereotypical, I think. Birmingham is a city in its own right. It's a steel city, you know, just as much as Pittsburgh is. It's not like a backwoods redneck area. You know, if they're going to play Auburn or something, then, you know, go for it. But do you know who wrote Deliverance? I got a little fun fact for you. Yeah, I actually don't. (laughs) guy's name was James Dickey. And fun fact, he went to my high school. Really? Yep. That is fun. uh, In Georgia. He may be the only person who hated it more than I did. So a lot of what Deliverance was like probably came from where you grew up. A little bit. It's not something that the school advertised. I think I believe he publicly disowned the school afterwards, but he was there, you know, many, many years before me. So So the end game on that is don't go to Rome, Georgia. Correct. It's a really good segue into Corduroy, and it goes back to the whole idea of Corduroy kind of getting an intro and utilizing intros more in 1998. As we mentioned, Interstellar Overdrive, Beds Are Burning, that little opening thing that they did before Corduroy opening up the Barry show. So they're working with stuff a little bit here, and I wonder if it was just a factor of it's the time, it's the place, and what should we do to bridge from giving a fly into Corduroy anyway, because those two songs are kind of completely different in composition. Yeah, I can see that, but again, don't love it. But the quarter of the song itself is great. Another great Pike performance. The ending is incredible. But the intro, Interstellar Overdrive, is really the only one out of those that stuck around. Yes, but it still kind of defines the era and what they were doing at the time. Now, the thing that I love about this version of quarter and really the best part of it, Mike had a killer solo, but started a little low than I thought it would because the buildup to that was so massive and the way that Cameron throughout the whole thing I think he has like two or three fills that are in that it's it's like a double or triple filthy fill that he does just in that part 
I thought that Mike was going to go really high with that, but he decided to go lower instead. It was interesting, but it's a great version. Once again, for me, Matt Cameron is the MVP of the show. Yeah, well, maybe Mike was tired from running around the stage the whole song because that's what he was doing. Our next inductee into the Hall of Fame. We had already mentioned it a couple times in this episode because a lot of people really like this one, and no doubt about it, this was a good one. And another one on the schedule where we said, oh, well, of course this is getting into the Hall of Fame. There's going to be no discussion on this because it's Slims. And I really loved having Kathy on this episode. I just thought it just put a whole new perspective on it that she was watching through the window the whole entire time and was able to hear everything. It's not a show that you bump into people randomly and say, I was at Slim's. It's, it, it doesn't happen all the time. So to get that firsthand experience and from a great storyteller as well was just wonderful. Yeah, she was an amazing guest and like very gracious and generous of her to come on and, and tell that story. You know, Kathy's been around for a long time. But that show again, that's a it's a no brainer. I mean, talking about all those debuts, you know, hard to imagine played for really the first time. And I mean, yeah, you can just go down the line from all those performances. That was another one where we talked about a lot of different songs individually for a very long time. Yeah, and how can you not? Like you said, they're all debuts, basically. Animal Go, Dissident. It's getting you the Versus songs before the Versus record's going to come out. I think the only ones they didn't play were Glorified G, Indifference, and... God, I forgot. They're, okay. uh, elderly Woman. Yeah. Elderly Woman, yeah, that's the last one. But also, they threw in a couple Vitalogy songs, and I think the clip would like to play for you is better man because there was a lot to talk about in this being this original version and having this kind of being the mediator towards the bad radio version and then what it would become later when it became a more dramatic intense kind of song so there was a lot of conversation that went into this and i really enjoyed it so hopefully you guys will enjoy it too if you didn't listen to the episode or just a little refresher because hey why not so here is better man from slims Ed, before Better Man, he says, I think this one is going to be on a Greenpeace record because we're trying real hard to save the world. We know as a band we can do it single-handedly. It's a small world after all. And look, you know, in ways, 30 years later, it's tough to say, have they saved the world? No. The world, I think, is probably, seeing what's going on in Israel right now, no. The world is not saved. So this is OG Better Man. Of course, we kind of talked about it before, came from Bad Radio, and Bad Radio's version was a little bit different from this, and then obviously not used for this record, but would be used for Vitalogy. So this is the earliest indication of what this song would be, but not quite yet what it would become. Mm -hmm. 
We know the story that Brendan O'Brien was really fighting for this to be on the record and was like, guys, like, this is it. This is the hit song. It's going to take over radio. This is the one. And that was the completely wrong thing to say to Ed, who didn't want that on this record. And the story is he was going to give it to Chrissy Hind to record. I think that was going to be on the Greenpeace record. And then, like, backed off at the last minute, but Ed still saved it. And then when you get to Vitalogy, and then when they did that Atlanta version at the Fox Theater, Brendan was like, oh, what if we take this from this and mix it here and put that there? And then they finally got the version that we come to know. But this is very embryonic here, this version of Better Man. Kathy mentioned it, too, like... I think this is like a bad radio song. Is this like a cover? They're doing bad radio songs now? Like, it definitely feels different than everything else that's being debuted here. It's good that you mentioned the whole Brendan O'Brien factor, because one of the things I went back and I listened to the demo for Vitalogy. I don't believe we really have the versus demo for this, unfortunately, but you'd have to think it kind of sounds like this. So the Vitalogy demo is just Ed and Brendan. It's actually like very angelic. If you haven't heard it yet, it's pretty beautiful. And he's singing over Brennan playing the keys. It's on the box set, right? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. So you hear that version and you hear what this version is, that kind of rolling drum intro where you kind of hear those clicks in the beginning and there's no at any point Ed in the beginning doing that like very clean and very isolated track to start the song and then build into what the song would become. I feel like that was sort of the handshake agreement here that they would create this song and turn it into an amalgamation of both of those versions. And look, I don't think better man becomes a massive, massive hit if it stays like how they had it on verses, but the way they put it together and the way that, it kind of gets developed and the ideas get thrown out there. It was good that it needed this time because I'm wondering if Ed finally, when it came to Vitalogy, if he was accepting of it because they had turned it into what it became. Yeah, that whole like sound effect thing at the beginning where they're trying to fuck with it. Like, oh, if you want to hear this, you got to sit through this weird spooky sound thing first. But yeah, if it had been on verses in this form, like Brendan's right, like it would have been this huge radio hit and that's not what they needed right then. Obviously, when you think of the MTV factor, none of these made MTV. I think the only thing that was in circulation was the animal VMA performance. That was probably it. So that was well, 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 not on their minds at all, but this feels, in a way, I don't want to call it like garage bandish, but compared to what Better Man is, it kind of is. You know, as I mentioned before, the original bad radio recording sounds a little bit like the police and maybe kind of a little bit of Genesis thrown in there too. I think the new wave thing too. Yeah, well, of course, that has yeah. to be thrown yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, the song is so personal to Ed and. I think it just needed to be perfected before the public knew what it was about. All right. So thank you for tuning into that. 
Now I want to take this portion of the show to thank the people that have graciously donated to this podcast this year. And it made significant growth. It was really crazy because I I guess what happened from the year before, everybody really, really liked the instant reaction episodes that we did. I think that's probably the most popular thing at this point that we've done. And you just kind of saw it after a while. Like once we were doing the tour and people realized what we were doing, the Patreon notifications came in like once a minute. Oh yeah. For for a few (laughs) days there, it was like, it was fast and furious. It was right. We were, we were, we were very much taken aback by that. Right. It was a lot. So even if people were just joining up just to listen to the incident reaction episodes and then dropping out, or if people stick, stuck around and got to listen to everything else, again, Patreon has kind of been a community for us, and, and the people over there have become really, really close and really good friends and sometimes even influence on this podcast in some ways. I guess you could say with the Giggle Leg tier and the Horizon Leg tier, they get a full episode, so that's influence enough. And yeah, it was exponential growth. Now, yesterday I checked how many people we have, and it's a little deceiving because now Patreon is like accepting free patrons, which won't get you anything. Like, don't sign up to to our Patreon for free and expect that you're getting all the episodes. It's just not how it's going to work. But right now, total within all of the paid patrons and all of the free patrons, we have 300 members that are currently on Patreon. So it's very impressive. Really thank you guys so much for not just enjoying what we do, but it, it also goes into just believing in this podcast a little bit too, because you know, we, we take it very seriously and we make sure that we get out to all the shows that we can just so you guys can have more content. And even in some cases, we'd be able to meet you guys, which is important as well. And without that, I don't think we can do that. And it's really important to have a presence at these shows because, again, if you want the reaction episodes and you want something right from the site, then, you know, what better than the guys that were there to kind of break them all down? You're not getting that anywhere else. No. We've said it before, likened to like a post-game report from a sports outing. And and yeah, you just don't get that with any concert, I don't think. So this goes without saying, but 300 people that are a part of Patreon right now, we used to do this where we would thank everybody that was on Patreon because we'd be able to take a little segment out of the show. But I don't think we can do that individually anymore. I hope you guys understand. And just in a general sense to everybody that is listening that has donated to the show either this year or the last year or has been donating from the very start, we absolutely thank you with all of our hearts so much. Definitely. And and the people who joined early on and then continue to donate, you know, years and years into the podcast, like that means so much too. Like you guys keep, keep pitching in month after month. And that's, it's amazing. And please, if you're on gig leg or horizon leg tier and you haven't gotten an episode request, now is a perfect time to get to us because we're, we're making the schedule, but there are going to be a lot of changes to the schedule that we can foresee going in the near future. And possibly we'd be able to get your show in 
at some point, maybe even before June. So, you know, we'll see. And if you aren't a patron and you're listening to this, then please head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs. If you would like to contribute every little piece counts and we're always working hard to give you new content, new material. This is not just a platform that you just subscribe to. No, you're subscribing to get content. So we want to be able to give you your bang for a buck. And uh, according to a lot of our patrons long time that have been there forever, it certainly most is a bang for your buck. So you can go to the Patreon website or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and click the become patron button. And for anybody that does that right now, I would be very, very appreciative of it. And so would John. So that's all I got to say about that. Now, why don't we get into here, you guys, another story about you guys here, because every year we do this veterans committee about episodes that we've covered in the past that we did not make Hall of Fame shows out of. The first 40 or so episodes that we did, and it was me and Matt that kind of started this whole thing, the first 40 of them, there were zero, count them, zero Hall of Fame episodes that we came up with because Matt just kind of refused to give a 10 to anything. He would end up, when he guessed it on the show in later years, he would end up giving something a 10, maybe one or two things, I can't remember, but there were so many amazing shows that we did from the very, very beginning that kind of sit there and they deserve to be in, but this is the way we're doing it now. We're just kind of going back and, and kind of making up for it. So some of the episodes that we put up for the committee to vote on were MSG 98, Orpheum Theater, The Gorge from 2005, even threw in a couple like random underdog shows like well, Vic Theater, I wouldn't consider an underdog show, but I would consider Grand Rapids 2006. I wanted to get in one of those kind of shows because that is a great show that at some point I hope does get voted into the Hall of Fame. But these two for the last couple of years are the ones that have been on the list and I've said, how come they are not in yet? And that is the Spectrum Closing Show from Night 4 and the MSG Live at the Garden show from 2003. They were no doubters, and I don't know why they just weren't in automatically to begin with, but those two episodes are now part of the Live on Four Legs Hall of Fame. Give a round of applause for that. All right. Hey, here, here. Speaking of uh, getting mad at me for ratings, you gave Spectrum an 8.8. Bye remember correctly if that's true so well i was just um, giving you know just recognition <laughs> to episode eight so no, correct correct <laughs> um yeah that 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 goes way back in the show yeah episode eight that's that's the earliest one now that's that's in oh is it really yeah well, i guess that would make sense beating out atlanta now i suppose yeah so just a little tidbit from that episode we called that episode because it was during halloween week we called that episode we dubbed it in my treehouse of horror episode. <laughs> so that was just a long time ago. And yeah, anyway, those two are in and now we got the final two that we're going to talk about right here that are this year's inductees. And this 
was a show that had been on my radar, of course, forever, because it's one of my favorite shows that I've ever been to. And I have always been a champion of Hartford is a great city to go see Pearl Jam. Do I have to repeat myself? It is the melting pot of Boston fans and New York City fans and Philly fans and fans from all over the place. Even the local Hartford fans know their shit and they do themselves nicely. And they all kind of congregate in this one little barn, you know, XL Center, and it becomes one of the loudest venues you'll ever be in. And being there that night, you got to feel all of that. And I'm shocked in a way that this got in because obviously it was going to be an automatic 10 from my viewpoint, but I didn't think that you were going to give it that, especially after all of the conversation that we had about Van Halen. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's, it's the intangibles and yeah, I did not like that about this show, but in the end it comes down to, you know, this one specifically came down to the crowd. Like, how can you deny a crowd like that? I mean, the the clip we're going to talk about, I think, says it all. But, yeah, sometimes sometimes a crowd like that can, can elevate a show above and beyond. And that, that's what happened here. Absolutely, without a doubt. And this is your moment that tells you what kind of show this is. And I just remember just being in awe of how long this standing ovation went. So we're going to do kind of tied in. It's going to be last exit into the response that happened after last exit. That will be our clip happening right now. Most of you maybe know that I did the serious wish list couple years back and my first song that i chose was this version of last exit because i kind of wanted to tell the story within about my life living in hartford and why the hartford shows meant so much to me and it's this moment and look you know the ga was bouncing during this i remember the whole place was bouncing you could feel something it's one of those old hockey barns and you can feel that something was happening. You could feel something bubbling up. It was a good crowd venue. And also, two Vitalogy in the first seven, which would end up being three Vitalogy in the first eight with the next song. This crowd was just electric. And then, you know, the fuel was pumping. And it just... Something happened in between that where the crowd was just so stunned. And I guess so fired up from the first seven songs, which it was probably like 20 to 25 minutes that it all took, but it felt like five. It felt like it took no time at all to get through all that, especially the fast four that they just played. But Ed takes the mic. He said, this is, I mean, one of maybe my favorite moment that I've ever seen in a concert. Hey, uh, good evening.
God. Well, God damn, that's, that's quite, a, quite a reception. Uh, this is... Uh We're gonna, uh, we're gonna have to work real hard tonight to deserve what you just gave us. So we're gonna, we're just gonna keep going. He's just staring in amazement during this, and just kind of shaking his head, like hard to put into words what's happening, because this crowd, a Hartford crowd, which again, the melting pot of all these big cities. But when you think of Hartford, you might not be thinking that initially kind of thinking okay this is a connecticut in between a couple of big cities but you're always kind of thinking that okay it's a hometown crowd wherever you go unless it's something real big like a pj20 kind of bit i don't know if he wasn't expecting any of that but like very genuine kind of steps back from the mic and it's like okay we're gonna have to work real hard to deserve what you just gave us and it's that moment, thinking about it gives me goosebumps all the time. I still feel that to this day of being in that crowd and understanding and just being amazed by it too because I never experienced something as powerful as this. Even MSG 2010, there were some really amazing crowd moments and I don't think it matched up to this. It was a sight to behold. All right, so there's one final episode that is being inducted from 2023, and it is a show that happened most recently, and also an episode that happened pretty recently as well. So, of course, both of us were huge fans of Night One in Chicago this year, and we had talked at length last week about how Night Two just didn't have that same magic that night one had. And, you know, we called night one an instant classic. And there are a lot of differing opinions on that of, okay, some people really thought that night two had better energy and just kind of more rarities than night one. But I was just night one to me felt like you had all the best storytelling and that the stories all led to awesome performances of the song. You go to light years, you go into throw your arms around me. Like those were big moments. Oh, God, I mentioned rear view mirror as well. Of course, for Franz, those were massive moments that make Pearl Jam shows extremely special. And that's why coming out of the United Center that night, I had the same feeling that I did coming out of Madison Square Garden in 2010. And that's very, very rare to have during a Pearl Jam show. Yeah, it's another one that it has its flaws, but like that almost makes it more perfect for for something like this. And like, again, it's the intangibles. It might not be the songs, but it's the stories in this case um, that really kind of 
add some weight to the performances and give it that extra bump up. And like, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, you know, went on, we talked about the kind of rant that I went on in the, the after episode, the, the instant reaction episode on Patreon. And like, I still stand by that and, you know, we can be accused of recency bias or whatever, but I still believe, you know, when, in, in the years, you know, ahead that people are still going to look back on, on that show as one of the all time greats. Yep. Absolutely. And you talk storytelling from this show. This was our number three moment in our best of piece that we did this year. So we're going to go back to throw your arms around me and the story about going back to his grandmother's apartment and meeting the people that live there. And yeah, I, I just really, really love this moment. And this show is just extremely special. So Another glance at it, although you guys got it two weeks ago, nothing saying you can't get it again. So here's the clip of Throw Your Arms Around Me from Chicago. Right out of the encore, Ed had been doing this first couple shows already, come out by himself, do a solo song, but... I don't think we really expected what was to come. As I mentioned earlier, there was a little nod to family talking about his aunt's funeral. And it seemed like Ed was in a real nostalgic mood that day when going around suburb of Chicago. So the beginning of this little speech and the way he's kind of putting it to our attention, he's like, Oh, this is a cautionary tale of if you see somebody's face and you don't really know how to react to it and you think you're scared and it keeps going on and on. I'm like, all right, instantly this is going to be a ramble and I am just going to twiddle my thumbs and just wait for the punchline. But that wasn't the case at all because once Ed says, oh, well, I was in the neighborhood for where my grandmother used to live and kind of talks about, and this hit home for me because this is very similar to my upbringing as well, that grandma's house was the core, he says, the sun where all the planets revolved around. And that was very much like that. My grandma's house was always where we did Thanksgiving. It was always where my cousin stayed and everything like that. So, yeah, like once he said that, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a family story. And family ed stories are usually very, very good. So talks about how he wanted to go back and see the place. So they go back and Ed's kind of pointing to his friends. He's like, ah, oh, that's where we used to play baseball. And that's this and that. And he sees a family out in the front window and the family sees him and they're kind of giving him a look. And he's like, oh no, these are cool guys. He says, he uses the terminology, cool guys, guys with tattoos and big guys, with beards and stuff like that. So they make eye contact and Ed is like, all right, this is the time we roll. We bounce. But the guys come out of the house. They're like, hey, are you Eddie Vedder? We heard a rumor about you that you had family that used to live here. And then from there, you could never judge a face by its cover, I suppose. And it was all good from there. And everybody got pictures and smiles. So he's got a PowerPoint presentation on the, on the screens there. They go through all these pictures of the family and everything. Yeah. Right. So... The first family that I talked to, I don't think that was the family that was living exactly in his grandma's apartment, but then they direct him to that family, and 
finds out that they've been raising uh, like a five or six kid family there. And he gets a picture with one of the youngest kids and the father. And it's pretty heartwarming because you think to yourself and uh, one time I was out in my yard, I was like playing basketball or something. And I saw a car kind of slowly pull up and I looked at them and I'm like, do you need help with anything? And it was just some woman. She was like, I used to live here 50 years ago. And I'm like, ah, cool. See ya. And like, I didn't like think to like invite them in. Cause it just wasn't really a thing. And I was 16 years old. So I didn't give a shit, but seeing that they made this kind of connection and Ed was really interested in knowing whether there was a loving family that was living there, that he lived a life of love there and his grandmother brought a lot of love to his family. So he wanted to make sure they they were holding up the tradition in the same place that he had his upbringing in and found out that that was absolutely the case. So we see these pictures, but then Ed's like, Oh, we had invited them to the show and their youngest was supposed to go off to med school today, but said, oh, I can get to my class early tomorrow. If I leave tonight, if I leave after the show. So it turns out, that the kid and his father are there. You don't see the kid in the crowd, but you do see the father. And the father is super emotional. He's got his hand out and he's like kind of bowing to him and his tears are streaming down from his eyes. And like, you can kind of tell, like, I think I talked to somebody that was in GA and I can't remember who. And they said that at one point they just saw some pushing and they're like, what the hell's going on here? And then when they realized that, it was Ed trying to catch this guy's attention that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're part of the show. Wow, this is pretty incredible. And kind of witnessed their face up front and personal. Like, that's really powerful right there. To me, in that moment, being in that arena, I thought to myself, like, this is one of the best non-performance kind of things that I've ever seen in the Pearl Jam show. Just bringing it all together and creating this kind of moment and letting you in on his life. I think that's one of the most interesting things is that Ed has been so secretive about what his upbringing has been. And we've only known like little hints and little details, but we've been so invested in this band that it feels like they are part of our family too. So when we hear something about Ed's upbringing, we feel even closer to him. And I think that's what brought everybody together on this. Just a a remarkable moment. I mean, it's a great story and a night full of them, but I remember being surprised because there's like the reviewers like, and they're here. And like, it cuts to them, like you said, in the front row and the guy's very emotional. And that really brings it home. Like, oh my God, you get the payoff. They're like, oh, they're actually at the show and they're right up front. Yeah, incredible. And then... Ed says something, and he's like, oh, you know, the beautiful summer sky, the Chicago summer sky. And I knew from there, I'm like, okay, I heard summer sky. And at that point, I'd been listening to Throw Your Arms Around Me a lot. Like, probably top one or two songs that I wanted to hear on this whole entire tour that I had never heard before. So once he kind of said that, I'm like, oh, please let this be it. I will come to you in the daytime I will climb into your shame I will kiss you in four places As I go running down your street I will scream 
squeeze the life right out of you I will make you laugh and make you cry And we may never forget it As I make you call my name As you shout it to the blue summer sky And we may never meet again So shed your skin, let's get started made this moment like it just had such a massive payoff of this moment because you're telling a powerful story and then you're playing a song with so much passion behind it to follow up on that that it honestly what happens during this is that i do something that i hadn't done in a concert in a very long time it kind of i was feeling emotional it kind of led me to want to call my wife and let her listen to the song because we love the song and we've always kind of connected over it. It came very, very close to being our first dance song, but I believe it was my mother-in-law who said that she didn't like the idea of shed your skin and let's get started. So it was next. And as I mentioned before, that Just Breathe has a connection to that. I didn't end up calling her during Just Breathe, but I called her during this. And Just Breathe was our actual first dance song we've always felt something special about this song. So we just called her. It was probably minutes after her Noah Khan show ended. I just let her listen to the song and told her I loved her. And I think it was just one of those things where family was on my mind and knowing how hectic the day was beforehand. It was just kind of missing home a little bit in that moment and kind of understanding that they were probably missing me a little bit too. So anything I could do to kind of put us in the same place for a minute or two was good enough. And the performance was just spectacular. One of my favorite songs, too, that I've been on a really good run with, like, can't get enough of it for the last few months. This one's up there, too. Pearl Jam's got a really good history with this song that not a lot of people talk about. That'd be really interesting, too. They've been playing it for a long time, and it seems to pop up in these big moments. Bring it on more. And again, I don't know if the idea of this being on the bear just kind of heightened the attention towards it, but you know, they end up playing it again as a pre-show song before the second Austin night. So it's on his mind. Once again, this year's entries, Mansfield Night 2, Mansfield Night 3, Birmingham 1998, Slims in 1993, Hartford in 2013, and then, of course, Chicago Night 1, 2003. Those are all our Hall of Fame episodes, but, you know, let's see what this year kind of has to bring. A quick... You know, like, want to give them a hint of what's going to happen here? Because I think we got a a lot of really interesting episodes that are going to happen in the first couple months. Let's give them a little bit of a hint. So the first month, we'll be focusing on all Patreon requests. So 
If you're listening out there, Marty Thomas, Tasker Hewitt, Brian Smith, Willie Reese, and Travis Howell, you're all going to get your episodes. So just remember to send us a story so we can tell it on air. And those episodes right off the top from the first month are going to be Camden 2000, Birmingham 2003, Prague 2006, Melbourne 2006, and then Columbus 2010. So that'll kick our year off. And then after that, in February, we are doing a bunch of shows that both of us went to that we're just kind of, we haven't done yet. So what what's the two shows that you went to that we're, we're doing? Yeah, well, this is kind of our personal history month, I guess. But the first one of mine, you know, after my first show, I waited 14 years to see Pearl Jam again for the second time. So that's going to be my second show. The last time they played Atlanta, 2012 at uh, Music Midtown. And then we're going to do another really underrated one that I think uh, is going to be really fun to talk about, kind of sandwiched in between a couple of their really good 2016 ones to be South Carolina 16. Yeah, the two that we're going to cover that we haven't covered in my shows, we're going to do Brooklyn Night 1 from 2013. I don't have a whole lot from that show, but, you know, that's, stories will come back because I, I there is a really interesting story coming from that. And then the, fir- the, the second Br- Brooklyn show happened in episode seven. So, you know, <laughs> it's fine if we tell those stories again, I suppose. And then the most controversial show in my live history, Fenway Park, night one, the first Fenway Park show from 2016. I will go through that whole debacle of what happened on that night. And yeah, then we'll never have to really speak of it again, I suppose. But to round it out, we are doing one more episode, and it happens to be a show that both of us were at. Yeah, another one uh, from 2022. You know, that St. Louis one is uh, is in the Hall of Fame, and we'll see about this one. Nashville 2022 should be fun. Yeah, should be a good time. So those are the first two months, and then kind of hints to what we'll end up doing later. We're going to have a 1994 series in the same way that we did 1993, but don't expect it to be like five episodes long. Right now it's in for six episodes, but it's not going to stay that way. We're going to try to balance it out a little bit better. And, you know, some shows that are on the books for next year, House of Blues, 2005. That's a good show with Robert Plant. All of Blues of 2007, a huge, huge crowd. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that show, we're doing Slain Castle from 1993. That should be really interesting. And then the time that they opened up for Tom Petty in 2006, we're going to do one of those shows. I believe the Milwaukee show is one that we might do. And PNC Park is one where they opened up for the Stones. That'll kind of be our July, almost like Pearl Jam as an opener sort of section there. So, uh, and then like, look, you know, things can change and there's a lot that's on the books now that might not be on the books. I don't foresee moving MSG 2022 out because that on the date of 9-11, I think probably works pretty well. And once again, for the second year in a row, we'll have both Atlantic City shows, hopefully, to give to you guys. And other stuff that we haven't mentioned yet, there are other Patreon requests that are coming. So there's going to be a lot. And again, everything might change on the fly once we officially know those dates. 
then we can kind of say, okay, let's prepare you guys, kind of like what we did in 2022. Let's prepare you guys for those shows in those locations and work on reliving some of those memories and stuff because that's that's important. I know a lot of people that are local love when that happens. So yeah, we're going to do that for you guys. And that's really all I got. I think that was a lot, but I, that's really all I got for this year. Uh, this was a good run of shows, good run of episodes. Really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed doing the instant reactions and all the evolution episodes. Next year's evolution episodes, who knows? Maybe it's the year we do the five part on black. Who the hell knows? But we'll see. We'll see what the future brings. And yeah, to 2024, just moving forward, hopefully with a new album and a brand new set of tour dates that hopefully we'll get to a lot of them. So that's all I got to say. You got anything else to say to the peoples? Just uh, thanks for listening and uh, happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. It was great to provide some entertainment for you this year. And that's all we ask sometimes is that, you know, you just get entertained by what we have to say about Pearl Jam and what we have to say. I don't know if it would ever be more important than what anybody else has to say, but people like it. So if they like it, then I also like it and I like telling the stories. So we're just going to continue doing it until somebody tells us to stop. (laughs) Hopefully they don't. And keep up too, because you know, if it seems like, you know, if there's, if there's a tour announcement, you know, we'll be, we'll be on top of it with an instant reaction as well. So as soon as you get that news, check your feed and, uh, and we should be there. Without a doubt. All right. This is the end. We're here, but not for much longer, although we may be parting ways. 2023, miss you already. Miss you always. To a great year in 2024, and happy and healthy and all of good things that we're waiting for. Until then, we'll see you then. Be on the road. Baby.